Thank you, Bo, for those uh, songs this morning. Hopefully our, our spiritual uh, juices have been energized this morning as we have come together to worship our God and to open our hearts and our lips and praise to Him and to open our Bibles that we can learn uh, more of His will for us. I think it was about two months ago I read an article, a very interesting article to me anyway, uh, about the world's population passing the 8 billion mark. 8 billion. That's a lot of people. I don't know that we can even, you know, comprehend how uh, big of a crowd that would be if all 8 billion people living on this planet got together in one part of the earth. Uh, I've been in some large crowds in my life, been to some uh, SEC football games where there might have been 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people gathered in a stadium. And uh, if you're claustrophobic, you probably don't like those kinds of situations. But that was a lot of people. But to think about 8 billion people inhabiting this world. But even though that is where we are population-wise and we live in a world with over 8 billion people in it, I think there are so many people that are living here that are dealing with loneliness in their life. And loneliness is not just a problem for out there, outside of these four walls. It's not just a problem for people who don't believe in God Loneliness, I believe, is a problem for those of us who are Christians. And if we let loneliness uh, fester in our life, it can become a spiritual problem. Because the devil can use that problem, that challenge of loneliness, to discourage us as followers of Christ. He can use loneliness to depress us. He can use loneliness ultimately to defeat us. If he can just get us to think that we are by ourselves in serving God and that no one else perhaps cares or there's no one else that will walk with me in this journey as I try to live as a faithful servant of here upon the earth, then he can discourage us and depress us and defeat us. However, as with all problems that Satan brings into our lives, God always has a solution. And that's what I want us to think about for our time in this session this morning, to consider God's solution for loneliness. I think this is a very pertinent topic, especially right now at the beginning of a new year. We've come through the last couple of months of last year uh, with the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And maybe uh, if you are uh, living alone, maybe your spouse has passed away, maybe your children have moved out of the house. Uh, Maybe you don't go to a regular job anymore. Maybe you don't have a whole lot of interaction with people, but maybe the last couple of months you have spent a lot of time with your family and with your friends, and all of that's over now. That's in the rearview mirror now, and maybe you're dealing with this problem that I'm suggesting can be a spiritual problem of loneliness. And so I think all of us deal with this from time to time in some way or another. But I want us to think about God's solution for loneliness. These are just three thoughts that I've had that hopefully will be of help to all of us, but especially if you may be dealing with this this challenge in your life at this point. The first solution I think God gives us for loneliness is about himself. To remember that as our great God, that he knows and that he cares 
God certainly is our creator. He is the one who made us. He knows us intimately, doesn't he? He knows us even better than we know ourselves. Sometimes when we can't really think uh, or, or know where our thoughts are, where our emotions are, where our mind is, God knows all of that. God knows our struggles. God cares when we hurt. And yet when we're lonely, we need to remember that he does know and that he does care for us. So I want us to go first of all to the Psalms this morning. As a psalmist, David describes God's knowledge and God's care, not just for all of us, but God's knowledge and care, especially for those who might be in a lonely state in their life. Go to Psalm 68 this morning. Psalm 68, and I want to read here verses 5 and 6. Psalm 68, beginning at verse 5. Here David says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. I believe David was thinking uh, about the fact of who God is, that God is the creator of all. God is, in a sense, the father of all, as even the Apostle Paul spoke of in Acts chapter 17, as he was trying to explain uh, the one who created the heavens and the earth and the one who is in control of the entire universe to those people there in the city of Athens that didn't know anything about God. They had built that altar, you might remember, to the unknown God. And he was trying to explain to them about who God is. And he said there that God really is the father of all of us. I realize he is our father in a special, unique sense. If we are followers of his son, Jesus Christ, if we've made the decision to give our lives to him. But in a general sense, he's the father of us all. We are all his children, as Paul made the point there. And so as we think about God in that role as being a father of all of us, that all of us have been created in his image, we can think about that on an earthly level, that we as fathers, we as mothers as well, as parents, that we care for our children, don't we? And that's, I think, what David is saying here, that God is one who cares for his children. He is one who takes notice of people especially that are hurting, that are struggling, that are oppressed. As he mentions here, the orphans, the widow, the lonely, and God provides for their needs. Furthermore, because Jesus came to earth and Jesus became a part of our human experience because he took on flesh, he understands our loneliness. As we read in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 56, that as the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, as the 12 that he has chosen, those 12 men or 11 at this point, because Jesus has left, but as he has chosen those men, uh, they have walked with him for three or three and a half years now. They have come to believe that he is the Christ, the son of God, who he claimed to be. But now they're seeing these soldiers arrest him and take him away. And now they are beginning to see the words of Jesus that he has spoken of in earlier times, uh, come true that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to stand before the Sanhedrin and be tried, that he was going to be crucified, but on the third day he would rise again. As they see all of that becoming reality here in verse 56, the Bible says to us at the end of that verse, then all his disciples left him and fled, that Jesus, at least as far as his earthly relationships went, that he experienced, I think we could say, some kind of loneliness, that he was alone here 
before he went to the cross. And yet, as we read in John chapter 16 and verse 32, that he wasn't truly alone, that his father was still with him. And I believe Jesus is speaking as he's preparing the disciples, the 11 at this point, for things that were shortly to come. In John chapter 16 and verse 27, he says, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. Uh, that's not the right verse. Verse 32, he says, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. So Jesus, realizing what David spoke of there, that God takes notice of everyone, but he would not truly be alone because his Father would walk with him through the coming days and the events that he would experience. Well, like Jesus, there will be times, I think, that we experience loneliness. There will be times uh, when we may be alone or at least may feel like we are alone. Maybe our friends or our family have deserted us or forsaken us. Maybe they have fled and scattered like the disciples did for Jesus. But if we are a child of God, we are never truly alone because He is always watching over us. He is always looking out for us. He is always caring for us. And we need to have that faith and that trust that God is taking notice of our situation. I want to just think about a couple of examples of many I think we could pull from the Scriptures this morning. One from the Old Testament and then one from the New to help us maybe see this particular point in action in someone's life that has lived before us. I want us to think about young Joseph, first of all, from uh, getting behind here on the PowerPoint, from Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And we remember how the, the account goes here about Joseph being a faithful servant of God and Joseph uh, being a man of integrity and him resisting the temptation that Potiphar's wife has put before him and saying, I'm not going to commit sin against you, with you. I'm not going to commit sin against God. And because of that, Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar himself uh, finds out what has gone on, at least his wife's version of that, and he decides he's going to throw Joseph into jail. And so notice what is said to us here toward the end of Genesis 39, uh, beginning at verse 20. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. I want you to be impressed with the fact that just here in a few verses twice, uh, the writer says to us that yes, even though Joseph was alone in an Egyptian jail, you know, think about the life of Joseph to this point. He has been taken out of his homeland he has been taken away from his family. He's been taken away from God's family, the Israelites. Everything that... that uh, was comfortable and that he knew about his life. He's been taken away from all that and put into a, a, a foreign land, the land of Egypt, where they didn't know Jehovah God, where he didn't have any relatives. He didn't have any friends. But to make matters worse, now he is taken from a situation I assume he's kind of gotten comfortable with in Potiphar's house. Now he's thrown into a jail where he doesn't know anyone. He is there alone. But even though he is alone in an Egyptian jail, twice in this passage it says that the Lord was with him. That God knew 
that God cared. And ultimately, uh, God uh, brought him out of that situation. And uh, at least from an earthly standpoint, his, his fortunes changed drastically. What do you think about also about the example of the Apostle Paul uh, over toward the end of at least uh, the last letter, I think, that we know that, that he wrote, that we have preserved for us? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, as Paul is closing down his letter to, to young Timothy, notice some things he says of a personal nature. Beginning at verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the mouth, lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You think about where Paul has been up until this point, you know, back at the end of the book of Acts, the last few chapters. He has stood before governors. He has stood before kings. He has even appeared before Caesar himself. He has appeared before all of these important people as far as the world is concerned. He has defended the faith, the gospel of Christ. And he says in all of that, he has come to the point where his fellow workers have deserted him. But he says his Lord stood by him. The Lord strengthened him in those situations. The Lord is going to rescue him. And he's confident that the Lord is going to bring him to glory that God knows and God cares. And so, brothers and sisters, if you're dealing with loneliness in your life, or maybe you have in the past, or it may be something that's coming in the future, when we find ourselves in those times in our life, we need to remember that even though we may be alone physically in some situation, that we're not truly alone, that God is there with us. We can talk to Him, especially talk to Him about our loneliness. And maybe the challenge, maybe the, the, the pull that that is on us spiritually we can let God talk to us through the Word. We can read passages like we just read from Psalm 68, that the Lord takes notice of those who are oppressed, that the Lord makes a home for the lonely. And doing that may not take our loneliness away, but I know that it will do this for us. It will give us the strength to keep going. And even if we have to keep going alone, so remember that God knows and cares. Second, the second solution God has given us, I believe in his word for loneliness, is to seek connection with other people. We read back in the very beginning of the book of Genesis and the creation account in chapter 2 that we know at the end of chapter 1, uh, the writer says there that God saw all the creation that he had made and everything was very good. But we come to chapter 2 in verse 18 and we find out that God says there it's not good for man to be alone. That God created us as social beings. God knows as our creator that we need interaction with other people. And so he has seen fit in his wisdom to put other people into our lives so that we can build relationships with them and they can build relationships with us. So that we can be a blessing to each other. And so wherever we are in life, whether we're young or old, whether we are single or married or maybe divorced or widowed, I think the fact still stands that all of us on some level to some degree, we all need other people. And that is true even if we're hardly ever lonely. We need people around us, good people, people that are like-minded, fellow believers in Christ, 
to share our good times with, to comfort us in the bad times of life, to pick us up when we fall, to help us to carry our load when we are struggling. Uh, the wise man spoke about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you were here uh, back last summer, you might remember uh, this passage, at least in one lesson, I think in several lessons that Reagan McClenney uh, referred to uh, quite often throughout that series on Better Together and emphasizing to us that we all need to be together. We need one another in the body of Christ. But notice what the wise man says to us in this text. And if Ecclesiastes 4, beginning at verse 9, he says, There are two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. So the wise man is making a very simple but a very profound point here, I think. Something that we need to keep in mind that two are better than one. Uh, we've, we have used this passage in our marriage class uh, as we looked at uh, part of that material last, last year. And as we're looking at that again this year on Wednesday nights in the, in the uh, big classroom in the back. But I think there certainly is an application to be made here to marriage that two are better than one that God has seen fit in his wisdom for a man and a woman to join themselves together in marriage and that relationship and to truly become one flesh. But we can take this principle and apply it to us in the body of Christ. We can apply it to friendships and relationships that we have in life, that two are better than one. And then the wise man goes on to say here that, that three are stronger still. Uh, obviously, that would not apply to marriage, that God has given marriage as being one man and one woman for life. And we're not to have a, another person in that relationship. But if you take that principle and just apply it to our relationships in general in life, many times it is the case, the more friends, the more associations we have, the stronger all of us who are in that relationship become. And so God, again, being the creator of us and knowing that we are social creatures, he has given us people. He has given us family, He has given us friends, He has given us His spiritual family to help us in time of work, to help us in time of need. He has given us all those people in our life so that we don't have to face life alone. But we can face life with others and we can help them in their struggles and they can help us. We especially need fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen us in difficult times in our life, to strengthen us when we are weak. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, at certain points in our life, we are weak. Maybe it's not the case that our, that our faith has diminished at all, that our faith has waned. Maybe we're just worn out. Maybe we're just tired. Maybe physically speaking, we feel like we can't take another step in front of us. But we need our brothers and sisters to help us in those situations, to encourage us when we are discouraged to counsel us when we are confused, to stand with us when our faith is being tested. And again, I, I don't want to just throw out these principles and truths from the Scripture, but I want us to think about some, some real-life examples to see this in action in people's lives that have gone before us. So I want you to think about the example, not so much of Daniel, but to think about the example of his three friends uh, there in, in captivity. Go to the book of Daniel in chapter 3. 
Daniel chapter 3, I think we're all familiar with what's going on here uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, the uh, royal decree that has been issued by Nebuchadnezzar that you need to bow down and worship this image that he had created. Uh, let's begin reading there at verse 16. As these three young men have been brought before uh, into Nebuchadnezzar's presence, uh, the Bible says to us there at verse 16 of Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I, th I think it's, it's fair or safe to say about these three young men that these were young men of faith, just like Daniel was. And later on, as we come here in this book to chapter 6, we remember the account of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, nothing is said to us at that point about where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. Uh, but Daniel, in that situation in his life, he is very much alone, and he has the faith in God. He trusts in God that he's, he's going to keep praying to God three times a day, open his window toward Jerusalem, and do what he's always been doing. And even though he is thrown into the lion's den by himself, he is confident if it is God's will that God will rescue him, and God does that very thing, shuts the mouths of the lions. So I'm confident that these three young men, had they been alone had just Shadrach been brought before Nebuchadnezzar or just Mishael or uh, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego been brought before Nebuchadnezzar's presence alone, they would have had the faith to say no. But it sure did help <laughs> that they had some friends to stand with them that helped bolster their faith and gave them even more courage to stand up and say, we're not going to worship the image that you have made. Notice throughout this text, we just read a few verses here, but how often Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we and our and us. <laughs> they had this connection with others of a like mind. So yes, I'm confident at least that these three young men, any one of them on their own, would have had the faith and courage to do what was right. But I'm sure it was a lot easier for them to be standing with fellow believers in God as they made uh, this decision. I want you to go to the, the New Testament now, to the book of Galatians, at the very end of that book in Galatians chapter 6. And notice what it said to us here at verses 1 and 2. Some instructions to all of us if we consider ourselves to be spiritual people. Galatians 6 and verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If we are not close to our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are struggling, when we stumble perhaps into sin, is there going to be anyone there that will attempt to restore us? Is there going to be a brother or sister there that will help us to bear our burdens? I realize if you keep reading in this text down to verse 5 that Paul says there, for each one will bear his own load. That there are some things that, uh, you know, the, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. 
I mean, we all have to make choices about how we're going to live our lives. There are some burdens I realize that we can still have our brothers and sisters help us as far as they can go, but we still have to bear those burdens on our own. We still have our own load, our own burdens to care. But it seems to me the emphasis of this text is we need to be bearing one another's burdens. And so we need to have connections with other people in the body of Christ so that we know them well enough and they know us well enough that they know when we are struggling and we know when they are struggling, we can see where they are getting off the path or they're falling away from the Lord or they are giving in to some sin. And we as spiritually minded people can help them in that regard. Because the fact is that none of us can bear all of our burdens alone. We all need help from time to time. And that takes humility sometimes on our part. Sometimes it may not be the case that, that we're not willing to help our brother and sister who is struggling with some particular temptation or sin, but maybe it is the case they're not willing to receive that help. So it's a two-way street. But God gave us this blessing of His family for a variety of reasons, but certainly as we're thinking about this morning to help us to overcome our struggles, even our struggles with loneliness. And the third and final solution that God has given us to this spiritual problem, or at least it can be a problem in our life of loneliness, is to get busy doing good. Uh, I, I'm sure we've, we've got some children in the audience this morning, uh, but maybe we can think about our own lives, those of us who are adults. You know, as a kid, did you ever tell your parents, I'm bored? I mean, those were the worst words to tell your parents, <laughs> at least my parents. Uh, because if I said those words to my parents, they would say, okay, let, let me cure your boredom. <laughs> you know, we'll take care of that problem right now. And the, the solution to that was go clean your room or go mow the yard or, you know, uh, get, get busy. Do, do some, something productive with your day so that you get your mind off the fact that you're bored. And probably as a child, if you were, were smart and wise, you learned not to say that, even when you were thinking that. But the cure our parents might have given us to our boredom, I mean, it did work, right? It gave us something to do. And so it is for us as children of God, when we are lonely in our life, when we get up and we get busy serving God, when we get busy serving other people, often our loneliness will subside. It may not take it away forever for the rest of our earthly life, but it will subside. And that's really the cure that God gave to Elijah. I want you to turn back to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I think we're all familiar with the account here, how Elijah has stood so strong, stood up for God on Mount Carmel back in chapter 18 and now uh, Jezebel, the queen, uh, has put a bounty on his life and he is run into the wilderness. He is afraid for his life. But I want you to notice here in verses 10 and 14 of 1 Kings chapter 9, uh, as God asked him the question in verse 9, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's his response in verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So God presents himself, you remember, in the, uh, the earthquake and in the fire and uh, in the wind. Um, and then he speaks to Elijah again and asks the same question in verse 13. And Elijah gives the same response in verse 14. Here's what I want you to get out of all of this for this morning's purpose. That twice Elijah told God 
I am all alone in serving you. And so God told him, as you come to the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 15, he basically said to him this point, get up and get busy. <laughs> I have, still have work for you to do. Your life here on earth is not over. You may feel like you're alone, are alone in serving me. You may feel like what you just did at Mount Carmel and the great display of power that I showed there and you showing through your faith that I truly am Jehovah God, I am Yahweh. You may feel like all of that's in vain and that the people of Israel didn't listen to that and it hasn't made a change in their life. But he says, here are the facts of the matter. I still have work, important work for you to do. So beginning at verse 15, here in chapter 19, we may remember how this goes. The Lord said to him, to Elijah, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Notice verse 19, so he, Elijah, departed from there. Elijah got up. God said, listen, I've got important work for you to do. You are, if you want to think about it in Elijah's terms, you are as good as your father's or better than your father's. You, you are accomplishing exactly what I put you here to accomplish. And besides that, as God mentions here from verse 18, God had plenty of other people who were faithfully serving him. It just seems like Elijah didn't know that. <laughs> or at least in the fog of this situation of feeling this, being in this lonely situation in his life, he had forgotten that. And so serving God and serving other people forces us to focus upon God. It forces us to focus upon God's word and God's promises. It focuses us to fo focus our lives upon other people around us and others' needs and others' problems. It gets our minds off of our own problems and makes us see how really blessed we are. That yes, we may have to live in this life here on earth alone in some sense for the rest of our days, but God and even his faithful people are around us. We don't have time this morning. You might want to just jot this passage down to think about some things the Apostle Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians 7. And I know that's in the context of the present distress there. But I think at least there are some principles we can take away from that and, and apply to every aspect of our life, whether we're in a present spiritual distress or not. And basically Paul is making the point there in these verses I have up here on the screen that if you're unmarried and lonely, you can devote yourself to the Lord and to his work, even more than someone who is married who has other responsibilities and obligations because of that relationship that they have taken on. And that includes serving others as you have the ability and opportunity to do that. So even if you are a, a single person, even if you feel like you are alone, there's lots of work, good work that you can do in the kingdom. You can send a text, a card, a call, you can make food if you're able to do that to your brothers and sisters that are lonely or maybe just someone outside of the body of Christ is dealing with loneliness to someone who is sick, to someone who may be elderly and can't get out like they once did, to someone who is discouraged or depressed. 
you, even as you deal with loneliness in your life, if you're able, you can financially help those who are in need. I, I know some uh, Christians who, have, who are later in life who never married, but they are very generous financially in supporting gospel preachers and helping brethren that are in need in other parts of the world, just in helping people in the world that are needy. You can volunteer to serve the congregation in some way. Uh, just because you may be a single person doesn't mean you can't lead in worship or teach Bible class or help clean the building or even help with some of our yearly events here like the, the, young, the youth Bible workshop or our VBS or things like that. Lots of things you can be doing. And so I know that this problem of loneliness is a, is a very real problem that we as Christians face sometimes. And I hope this lesson, if you're dealing with that, right now can give you some solutions because God wants us all to be busy, workers in his kingdom. Well, you've listened very well this morning and and let's be dismissed to our classes now.